You see, when the church gets free, the enemy cannot prevail against it because of this. I will give you, now notice this passage. He said, the gates of hell. Everybody say gates of hell. So hell has gates. But listen to what Jesus gave Peter. I give you the keys to the kingdom that whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Hell has gates, but heaven has keys. Hell has gates, but heaven has keys. Hell wants to lock your family behind gates, but Jesus Christ has given you the keys to open those gates. You do not have to live behind the gates of addiction. We have the keys to open those gates. You do not have to live behind the gates of deception. We have the keys to open those gates. You do not have to live behind the gates of dysfunction. We have the keys to open those gates. You do not have to live behind the gates of depression. We have keys to open those gates. The gates of hell cannot prevail when the saints of God get free. Put your hands together and give God praise. If we would just only understand who we are in Christ and what God wants us to do. My wife and I have been to Israel several times and every time you go to Israel, Perry and the team will be flying back tomorrow. They're going to see this on the plane. How many of you have flown to Israel before? Then you know exactly what I'm about to show you. On your plane, you're going to see Jewish men and women stand up and put a prayer shawl over their head. They're going to they're they're wrap their arms, they're going to wrap their head, and they're going to put the prayer shawl over their head and get their prayer book in the middle of the airplane. 30 or 40 of them are going to stand up and they're going to do this in the middle of the airplane with you sitting there right beside of them. And they're not going to say, excuse me. They're just going to go into their prayer time. If it's a long flight, they might do it two times. Because when it's their prayer time, you'll see it. And, and at first, it was like, wow, isn't that beautiful? Then secondly, I thought, man, isn't that bold? And, and then the next thing I, I thought was, why am I not doing that? Why are they doing that and I'm not doing that? And I watched this all the way to Israel. And when I came back from Israel on this particular trip, I, I remember... My plane was filled with Jewish people. We were flying into JFK, and all these people were praying, and I got off this plane under such conviction because I'm thinking, wow, they had such freedom. They had such boldness to wrap their prayer shawls around them, their tallits around them, and pray on this airplane. And I go into the JFK airport, and while I'm hustling to get to my gate, there is a Muslim man trying to get to the place that they've designated for them to pray because it's the prayer hour. And he realized, he was looking at his watch, he realized he was not going to make it in time. And because he was a devout Muslim, he rode out his prayer mat in the middle of JFK airport and knelt down and started praying in the middle of the airport. And I'm telling you what, I've never been more convicted in my life. I'm thinking, I just got off of a plane of 
of Jewish people praying on an airplane and here is a Muslim man and he is kneeling in the middle of an airport and my Jesus said that if you're ashamed of me, I will be ashamed of you before my father and his angels. And I thought, I don't know if this is wise or not, but I can't take it another minute. I reached in my backpack and I pulled out my Bible and I knelt right beside that Muslim man and I opened my Bible and when he went down, I went down. When he came up, I came up. He went down, I went down. He was praying in Arabic, I was praying in the Holy Ghost and I prayed as long as he prayed and I declared in that moment, I'm gonna pray. I don't know if this is gonna get me arrested. I don't know what's gonna happen, but I'm gonna out pray this Muslim man. If I miss every flight to St. Louis, I'm gonna out pray this Muslim man if it kills me. And I didn't know how long he was gonna pray, but I was gonna pray one more minute than he was gonna pray. And I watched him roll up his mat and I kept going down and I kept coming up. And by this time we had a huge crowd around us and I wasn't trying to draw a crowd. I was trying to get the applause of heaven. I was trying to get the attention of a king that said, you are not ashamed of me. If we can just get free, the gates of hell cannot prevail. The problem with the city is not the city. The problem with the city is not the politics. Give me some free saints in some free churches and the gates to the city will open all by itself. The third level of rulers is no match against the church because we have the keys to unlock everything they throw at us. Drug addiction, unlock it. Divorce, unlock it. Whatever it is, intoxication, unlock it. Whatever they're bringing to you, deception, unlock it. We have the keys to unlock whatever the city is throwing at us because we have power over the rulers. And then you have the next level. The final level is the level of the church. Interestingly enough, it was the hardest gate for Peter to get in. He got in out of the first gate by putting on his sandals and girding himself and putting on his garment and walking in the spirit. He got out of that gate. He got out of the second gate that way. He just waved at the guards and they just, they just opened the doors for him. They were standing there. The Bible says they were standing there. They just couldn't do anything because the angel was with them. He got past the first gate and the second gate. The gate to the city opens by itself. But when he gets to the gate of the church, he knocks. Rhoda comes. She runs inside. She says, it's Peter. And they said, it can't be Peter because we're praying for Peter to get out of prison. It can't be Peter because we're in here having an all-night prayer meeting because Peter was sentenced to death the next day. He was, he was going to die the very next day. Well, it can't be Peter. I'm telling you, it's Peter. He had to keep knocking and keep convincing them until they finally opened the door. And when they went in, the saints were all praying. Here is the key to the, third, to the fourth level of spiritual warfare. Peter continued knocking, continued knocking, continued knocking, and they opened the door and they saw him and they were astonished. So here's what I want to tell you. You got to get some saints to go into warfare with you and they got to keep knocking and keep knocking and keep knocking. Get your prayer group and keep knocking and keep, keep knocking until the answer comes, until the gates begin to open. 
happen in your life. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against powers and rulers of darkness and the spiritual hosts in high places. Every time we see these hosts show up, look at this. We see spiritual hosts of wickedness in heavenly places. Now, I could just preach a whole sermon on that one sentence. What are wicked hosts doing in heavenly places? What are wicked hosts doing in heavenly places? What are they doing on battlefields you've been fighting for? What is the host, the armies of hell doing in places you've been praying over? What are they doing in houses that you've anointed? What are they doing in, in, in battles that you have already conquered? What are they doing in heavenly places? But at some point in time, we have to send an army greater than us against the host of wickedness because we serve the Lord of the army angels. We serve the Lord of hosts. We serve Adonai. We serve the great king. We serve the great creator. And at some point in time, we have to send the armies of heaven against him. How do you send the armies of heaven against him? All through the Bible, you see God's army showing up. David, he says, when you hear the sound of the going in the tops of the mulberry trees, you know my army has come in and gone before you. In Daniel, when you see the warfare, the window of warfare, you'll know that the army of God has already conquered the prince of Greece, has already conquered the, the, all, all the princes of the kingdoms of this world. He's already conquered them. In every case... Where the armies of heaven are fighting and winning a battle, it is always preceded by one thing. Every time they show up, every single time the armies of God show up, it's because of one thing. Someone has prayed. Someone has touched heaven. I want to tell you tonight, if you are saved, you're not saved because just because you want to be saved. You're saved because somebody was praying for you. If you're saved tonight, it's because somebody prayed. If you're healed tonight, it's because somebody prayed. If you are forgiven, it's because somebody has prayed. If you are whole tonight, it's because somebody ring the prayer bells of heaven on your behalf. If you've overcome a habit, it's because somebody has prayed. If you've ever been delivered, it's because somebody has prayed. If you've ever been set free, it's because somebody has been praying. If you're walking victoriously, somebody prayed. If you have a prayer, it was the prayer of Daniel that closed the mouth of the lions. It was the prayer of Peter that made the lame man walk. It was the prayer of Elijah that brought fire down from heaven. It was the prayer of Samson that renewed his strength. It was the prayer of Elisha that raised the dead boy. It was the prayer of Moses that spared Israel. It was the prayer of Paul that healed the sick. If you want the armies to march, then somebody needs to pray the prayer of deliverance that brings the armies of God on the scene. Every time the church wins, it's because somebody prayed. I just want to say thank you to all of our ministry partners who help us take the gospel around the world and train pastors and leaders around the world. Uh, because of you, we have been able to do so much for the kingdom and expand the kingdom of God. 
Uh, I was able to train over 5,000 church planters just in the country of India alone. We've worked all through Africa as well as Europe. Uh, every year I go to Romania and train pastors and we've trained hundreds of pastors there in, in Romania. We've graduated over 3,000 pastors from programs, certificate programs, just in Central America. Uh, our teams and our, the young men and women that I've taken on the field with me, numerous uh, young ministers who I just want to give them experience and, and uh, help them to get their feet wet in ministry. We have gone around the world spreading the gospel and none of this is possible without you. I just want to say thank you for your continued support, whether it's a one-time donation of any size or whether it is a, a monthly donation that you've decided to partner with us uh, monthly. I just want to say thank you for that. And for those of you that are looking for ways to give to this ministry, because it is a good seed to sow in and we're doing things around the world, here's a screen that would tell you some easy ways that you can give to this ministry. But once again, I just say thank you from the bottom of my heart and from all of those lives that you are changing. It is my honor to be your ambassador to the world. Years ago, Faith and I were pastoring in St. Louis. Our church was running about 400 at the time, maybe 500. And we had to sell our building. We had this property we were going to buy in the strip mall. And so it was from this group in Texas that was selling it to us. And so a preacher came in. We'd been praying for a miracle. And a preacher came in from Webster Groves in the community we were, we were in at the time and said, you know, our church wants to relocate to this site. And we heard that you might be moving because your church has outgrown it. And we said, yeah. He said, we'd like to offer you this much money for it. And, and I said, do you realize what the appraisal value is? And I didn't tell him. It was half that. And he said, I don't care what the appraisal value is. This is how much we can pay for it. If you will give it to us, then we'll give you this much money, and I'll bring you a check tomorrow. And I said, let me make a few phone calls. I said, would anybody like to sell the church for twice the amount that it's worth? And, and, and they all said, yes, we got to move anyway. And so they gave us a check for twice the amount that the church was worth. And we thought, wow, this is God. This is God. You know, we're going to get in this fight and we're going to go into a school and, and we won't be there very long. And so we went into a school and, and we started worshiping in that school. But what we didn't anticipate is we're probably running maybe 400 people. I'm, I'm guessing four or 500 people. But in the first First school we went to, we picked up about 150 people in about three months. We don't even know how it happened. We can't write a book about it. It was so supernatural. I can't teach anyone how to do it. We don't even know how it happened. It was so supernatural that our church grew. And now we're at like 650, you know, 650 people or so. And we're too small for this school. And so we move into another school. And it got harder and harder to find a place because we just kept growing. Now we're up to 800. Now we're up to 900. We're still in these schools. We're in over 900 people now, and we're still in all these schools, and there's hardly a school that can accommodate us. So we found this piece of property that we wanted to buy. It was called the St. Louis Soccer House. It was an indoor soccer field with this kind of arena seating around it. So we bought 
this building and it had several bars inside of it. And so they were in foreclosure. And so we got a real deal. We spent all of our money and we, were st we still had a payment. So we went and bought it and we're thinking, Yahoo, you know, we're going to finally get out of these schools because we've been in the schools now for over three years and we're ready to have a place of our own. But what we didn't anticipate is the county came against us and said, we're not turning this property over to a church because we're going to lose way too much revenue if we give it to a church because you're, you're a, you're a not-for-profit organization, a 501c3, and we're going to lose all this taxation. We're not turning the property. And they got, they, they, they created a plan. They got in cahoots, as some people would say, uh, together, and they decided to stop us and block us. We had to have 32 signatures just to get an occupancy permit. And what they did is they put a chain across the door of the building. Now here we are, we've already bought the building, but we cannot get an occupancy permit. We're the owners of the building, but we can't occupy the building or go in the building. And this went on for a month, and I kept fighting it and fighting it. We hired lawyers. We did absolutely everything we could do to fight it. We were getting nowhere. Two months went by. After about six months of this, I started dreading going to church because every time I went, every time I went to church, there were, there were, everyone was asking me, Pastor, have you heard any updates on the building? And I kept saying, yeah, nothing. And the next month, nothing. The next month, nothing. We did this for an entire year. We own this building. There are chains on the door. Now I'm losing my mind. The first couple of months I had a little steam in me. You know, my faith was still soaring. The, the next few months I was dragging everyone along with me. By the eighth or ninth month, man, they were dragging me to the pulpit because I was getting depressed. I, was, I, couldn't, I couldn't win no matter what I did. We were spending money. We were paying the payment every single month, and we were, there was no way we could even occupy the building. So we went on a fast, and in the middle of that fast, I heard the Holy Spirit say to me, I want you to take the congregation to Gilgal. And so I, I didn't really know what it meant. I thought we were going to sell the building and move to Gilgal, Missouri. And, and I looked on the map, and there was no Gilgal, Missouri. And I'm thinking, at first, I mean, I was just that, 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 in that kind of a state of mind. And so I thought, what do we do, God? What is Gilgal? And I knew about the Gilgal in the Bible. And then I heard the Lord say, that's where I want you to go. I want you to go to the Gilgal in the Bible. And I realized that's the place that they had to go in and conquer the land. Because the land, if they didn't conquer the land, they couldn't conquer the territory. And the Lord said, you have to go in and anoint the land and conquer the land before you're ever going to win this battle because you're held in captive. So I got up on a Sunday morning and I said to the congregation, I said, listen, I'm going to do something a little crazy. I'm going to break the law. I'm going to go in our building. I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm, we're going to build an altar in the building. You don't have to join me. I knew my red head would go with me if we're in jail tomorrow you'll see us and our kids and we'll be in jail because we're going to go in that building and we're going to lay an altar on the floor and we're going to anoint that 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 altar so we got cinder blocks we got 12 cinder blocks and we walked in the middle of that floor and by this point in time we had rolled up the astral turf and it was just a dirt floor underneath it and I didn't know who would show up but about 750
50 people showed up that night with lawn chairs. And they, I thought, there isn't a prison in St. Louis big enough to hold all of us. We all went in there with our lawn chairs and our flashlights, and we were carrying those big cinder blocks, and we laid one down, and, and an elder would come and pour oil on the cinder block, and then we laid the second cinder block down, and, and another elder would come and pour oil on the cinder block, and, and we kept doing that. We had 11 elders at the time, and we had laid the 11 blocks, and then it was my time to lay the block of the future. We were committing. We were... We were, we were uh, completing our pyramid because we did this triangle, this triangular altar. And so I put this final cinder block on the very top and they brought me a gallon of olive oil. And I began to pour that olive oil all over that and pray like a man who is desperate. You know what I'm talking about? That kind of prayer that it doesn't have to be pretty and you don't care who's listening. You are so desperate. You will say anything to get free. You will say anything to get the attention of the king. And I'm praying such a desperate prayer with everything inside of me and all of a sudden, in the middle of that prayer, it began to rain so hard that we couldn't even hear. You couldn't hear my prayer. You couldn't hear anything because the rain was so deafening coming over the top of that building. And the first thing I thought of was, man, if we ever get this building, i got to fix that roof because that's way too loud. That's what I was thinking. I mean, I didn't understand what was really going on. But we had some kids in our church who had just come back from a winter fest and they left their they had left their luggage outside the bus had dropped them off and they ran outside to get their luggage and when they did they ran back inside and they said pastor b they said it's not raining outside it's only raining on the inside you can only hear the rain on the inside and i ran outside and when i got outside there was no rain there was a starry night there were no clouds there was no rain but when i walked back in the building. I could hear rain being poured out on the top of the building. Walk outside nothing. Walk inside there was rain. We realized that we were hearing the sound of an abundance of rain because a supernatural thing had happened. The armies showed up. The armies of heaven showed up. We began to dance and rejoice around that altar and we prayed for each other and we sang and as long as we did the rain just kept pouring and pouring and then finally we all went home and I'm thinking okay this must mean something we're free now right we're free day one nothing happened change is still on the door except for that one that we broke day two change is still on the door see sometimes you just got to walk by faith I'm going to heal your eyes, but go to the pool and wash them first. I'm going to heal you, but take up your bed before you walk. I'm going to do this, but you got to show me that you believe I did it. So we just kept praying. I'll never forget where I was at when this happened. I was in my prayer room downstairs in our house. My redhead came downstairs, and she said, Brian, the county commissioner is on the phone for you. I'm thinking, oh, my he heard. This is day three. And when I got on the phone, he did not know who I was. He had been leading the charge against us for over a year, and he did not know my name. He did not know the name of my church. He said, is this Brian Cutshaw? And I said, yes, sir. 
He said, well, I, he said, I haven't been able to sleep the last two or three nights. He said, because I, 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 I had something on my mind. And he said, I called up somebody today to do a favor for them because I felt like I owed them a favor. And this is what they said. Don't do a favor for me. Do one for my pastor. Here's his phone number. And they gave him our home phone number. And I'm on the other end of that phone, and he still doesn't know who I am. He said, so, pastor, what can I do for you? I said, sir, you don't even know who I am, do you? No, sir. I'm the guy at Twin Rivers that's trying to get the building permits from the county. He went, oh, that guy. I said, yes, sir, it's that guy. And this is all he said. He said, well, can you be at my office in an hour? I tell you what, guys, a whole year of fighting, a whole year of begging, a whole year of praying. But when the army showed up, when the saints began to pray, we began to break through that final level of warfare. And I got me an empty briefcase, and I went down to Clayton, Missouri, the county seat of St. Louis, and I walked in Buzz Westfall's office, and he wasn't, I wouldn't call him a godly man for the words that were coming out of his mouth. He was not happy at all about what he was about to do. And every time he called in a department head to sign it, they said, what? He would slap it, use some profanity, and say, I said, sign it. And those guys signed it and left mad. And he called the next guy in. And the next guy came in, and he was using bad language, and I'm just sitting there watching God do a miracle. These guys are cussing all around me. I'm thinking, I am right in the middle of the devil's den, and the Lord is delivering me in front of all of them. He is making me to lie down in green pastures. He is restoring my soul. He is leading me in a path of righteousness for his name's sake. I am in the valley of the shadow of death, but I'm not afraid for he is with me. His rod, his staff is comforting me. He has prepared a table before me in the presence of my enemies right here. He's anointing my head with oil. My cup is running over. Goodness and mercy are going home with me because God has given us this victory. And I watched 70, I watched 32 mad guys come in that room cussing and I watched him slap that table until his fist had to be sore. He slapped it and cussed and he finally slid them over to me and he said, is that all you need, pastor? And by this time, his blood pressure is so high. His ears are so red. And he is sliding this paperwork to me. I said, yes, sir, I believe that'll do me just fine. I put him in my empty briefcase, and I did one of these all the way to the car. Oh, I couldn't wait to get out of that building. I had myself one more fit. I danced and I pranced all the way to the car. I called everybody I knew, and I said, the army has shown up. The Lord has given us the victory. The gates of hell cannot prevail when the church gets free. Hallelujah. Stand all over the room. I want the musicians to come. Hallelujah. You can win your warfare. Strap on your sword. Make peace with those around you. Hallelujah. Walk and pray in the spirit. 
And when you get out, you claim your city. You call it out by name. You declare that land is yours. You declare it, walk it as many times as you have to walk it. But you declare it like Abraham declared it. You declare it that it belongs to you. Until victory comes, I want the singers to come because I'm going to ask everybody that we're going to do this a little bit different tonight because this last level of warfare was about everybody corporately praying together. That's how the army came. It was a thunderous prayer there at the prayer meeting where Peter walked into, into the prayer meeting where he got set free on the fourth level. So here's what I'm going to ask you for tonight. I know that some of you might need to go, and I understand that it's not that late, but if you need to go, you might have to get up early, and I get all of that. But if you're here tonight, and you're tired of fighting the same battle, and you're tired of the same season of temptation coming back to your life month after month. You beat it for a while, and then it shows back up. You overcome it for a while, and it shows back up. And you're just tired of that. You want to win once and for all. You want to dance on the grave of your enemy. You want to cut the head off of the giant with a sword. If that's you... And you want to win tonight and you're ready for a victory. I want you to get out of your seat and come and stand with me in the front.